message this morning is till kingdom come. Hear the word of the Lord. And he said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. He went on his way through the towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. And when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside And to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught us in in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. And at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow. And the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together As a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides and remains forever. Let's ask his blessing upon it. Father, now will 
you help me to be your servant. Lord, help me have the words that I need to speak today. Will you give me the Holy Spirit's aid and help? Will you help our body, our flock, to be fed? Father, we ask this all in your precious Son's name, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I'm going to do something a little unusual right at the beginning, but there is a purpose for that. This morning, I want you to listen to one of my favorite commentators, Philip Ryken, and see if what he is talking about in this day and time in which we find ourselves, see if what he's saying resonates. Ryken says, often we are encouraged by signs of progress in the church, both locally and globally. At times, we may see at least some spiritual growth in our own Christian lives. More often, however, things seem to be in spiritual decline. We are troubled by the spread of evil in our society and grieved by the persecution of the church. We are burdened by the problems we are having in ministry. We are brokenhearted by our own struggle with sin and the backsliding we see in other believers. The apparent lack of spiritual progress in those and many others, other areas of life lead us to wonder sometimes whether the kingdom will ever come. Don't you feel that sometimes? Does it feel so, so dark? Sometimes with so many of the things that are around us and are happening in our world, don't you feel that way? Take heart. Now, a little change, a shift. How many of you have seen movies where the bad guy threatens to blow someone to kingdom come? Come on, come on. Yeah, a lot, should be a lot of hands going up. The phrase, till or until kingdom come, is often used to express something way, way off in the future. A long time out there. Now keep that in mind. More on that later. Now if you recall, last week, if you were here, and you were here last week, Luke told us that Jesus healed a woman who had lived with a severe curvature of spine that totally had her bent over for 18 years. And in today's passage, Luke connects that healing that we saw last week. Luke connects that with Luke 13, 18. Let me read that to you again. Uh, 1318. 
And he said, therefore, no, that's not the, that's not the right section. The word, therefore, makes the connection. The word, therefore. That's how you know that the, the woman that was, had a curvature spine that Jesus healed, this now is connected to what Jesus is saying. The word, therefore, brings the two in connection. Now, there was something about that miracle that Jesus had performed that prompted him to teach about the nature of the kingdom of God. There was something from that woman and his healing her, something was triggered in our Lord's mind. And he is now asking some questions about the nature of the kingdom of God. What is it like? Perhaps Jesus wanted to show that this miracle was a sign of things to come. I think that's the point. What's the connection? That woman had a healing, but it was nothing like what one day will come. A bigger and vaster version of that. And Jesus is talking about the beginning of that now and where it's going. So, today's outline goes like this. The parables, the journey, and the lament. 18 through 35. Here's the parables. Let's look at that first of all. Jesus began this way. What is the kingdom of God like? That's the first question he asked. And then he said, right after that, and to what shall I compare it? Now, first, he said, it's like a tiny mustard seed. Do you know how small a mustard seed is? It's like a little black speck. And he says, this seed grew and became a giant tree, which was able to receive birds of the air to make their nests in. Perhaps this tiny little seed, the mustard seed, would maybe grow up to be a tree anywhere from 10 to 14 feet high. This one little tiny speck. Now, by the way, the Gentiles are often referred to metaphorically as um, the branches, or excuse me, not the branches, um, but the birds. The birds that nest in this giant tree that has grown up that Jesus is talking about, he says it's going to be full of Gentiles. It's going to be full of Gentiles. So you see, the point of the parable is not the growing process. If you look at a lot of commentators, they're going to tell you uh, it's about the growing process and how long it takes to grow something. That's not the point. That's not the focus. The contrast is what's in focus between the beginning and the end. The beginning is so minuscule, so small, so infinitesimal. And yet, 
in the end, the final product is going to blow your mind of how great and vast it will be. That's what Jesus is talking about, the kingdom of God. This, these are two parables, but they're both talking about the greatness of the kingdom of God to come. Now, Luke's point, as I said, is the, si- is the size of the final product. Then Jesus says, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? Ask another question. And this time, yeast is the answer. In this parable, a woman uses it to make sourdough bread, which is, by the way, my favorite, favorite bread. If I, if I can have any bread, I want, I want it sourdough. And by the way, it's live. It's, if it's real sourdough, it's living. It's healthy. Good for you. Um, so the woman in this parable leavened, she put a lot of yeast, ton of yeast, into this big, massive ball of sourdough. And then something began to happen. Something amazing. And she began to work it and knead it. And all of a sudden, this bread started, sourdough batch just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Some commentators believe that it could have gotten to upward of 60 to 100 pounds in the process. It was carried on long enough. Again, the point of the parable is the contrast between the long-awaited kingdom of God. The parable here is to point out that contrast. Now, these two parables teach, as I said, the long, long, patient process of the king of God. But the demonic powers were already seeing what Jesus was doing. They were already being put to flight and shaken and defeated And yet, the human rulers of that time and that age, the religious leaders of that era, the power brokers of that time, they were oblivious to the kingdom of God and to its coming. They didn't see anything but an infinitesimal little speck. And this pathetic little piece of yeast. They they could not imagine where it would go. They had no regard for it. They did not see it at all. They couldn't see that the kingdom was now and there already. You often hear sometimes this referred to the now and the not yet. It talks about what's not yet there and what is yet to come. But Jesus is saying and teaching here, this is already here. The kingdom of God has come among you. And of course, who is the king of that kingdom? It's Jesus. It's him. And they are blind as a bat to the whole thing. They have no idea. You see, they couldn't see that the kingdom was already here and beginning to grow and take shape and grow in size. 
What's the point? The point is, don't miss the presence of the kingdom of God in the small stuff. Doesn't look very impressive. Little tiny seed, little bit of yeast. But comparatively, what will it become in the end? What will ultimately come to pass? I want you to hear again another, you've heard me uh, quote from Mike uh, McKinley. This is just really good stuff. It says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Its beginnings may not be impressive to the Pharisees and the rulers of the synagogues. A woman who can now stand up straight. A man whose limbs are no longer filled with fluid. Those things might seem to be mere drops of water in the comprehensive ocean of human suffering. How can that be the kingdom of God? But if you give it time, it will change everything. It will grow and spread like a tree. It will transform everything like yeast and dough. That is the way of the kingdom of God and how it works. It does not work like the kingdoms of this world, which rise to power suddenly and spectacularly only fade from the scene in a relative blink of the eye. Instead, it grows slowly and imperceptibly until it has achieved incredible influence. Unbelievable, unimaginable growth. Now, second thing in our text First thing was the parables. Now, Jesus is traveling again. The journey. Once again, we find Jesus is on the road again. Sounds like a country song, doesn't it? Waylon Jennings or something, on the road again. He's on the road again. On the way, someone asked Jesus, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Jesus ignores the math. He's not interested in the math. The image of the narrow door that Jesus does speak about, that refers to the small entryway set within a larger doorway of a house. So imagine... It's a pretty small house, but said so this is this is my house, okay? This area here, I've got a very small house. That's the narrow door. That's the narrow entrance way. Outside there are in the court. There's a courtyard with a lot bigger and bigger doors, so all the animals could come in and out. They got to have big doors. Jesus is referring here. The image of the narrow door is what he's talking about. And the emphasis is not even on the narrowness of the little door, the smaller door. It's not really even on that. It refers to the approved entrance, the door entrance into the house. 
into the family's house. You can't get in that one. It's going to be locked at night. When night comes, there will be no entrance. You better get in, Jesus is saying, now while you can. This door will not be open forever. And it's coming closer and closer than you think to being shut. That's what this is, is saying. You see, the emphasis, as I said, is not on the narrowness of the door. It refers to the approved entrance to the door. And do you see what Jesus is really saying? If that's true, if it's not about how narrow is it or how wide is it, it's a door that is the entrance into the house. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I'm the only approved entrance into my father's house. So many people miss that. They start trying to figure out, well, is it, is it a particular kind of how much? You know, metaphor, word picture, hang in there. What's the point? The point is, Jesus is saying, I'm the door. Remember, he said that elsewhere in the Gospels. I am the door. He used a lot of other word pictures saying, I'm what you're looking for. I'm your only way in. And there is no other. Everywhere today, people think there's all kind of ways to get in. There's only one. There's only one, and his name is Jesus. I'm the only approved entrance into my father's house. That's what Jesus was saying. And only those who make the personal choice to enter through the narrow gate, which is Jesus, that's the narrow gate, will reach heaven. That's the teaching. That's the point. Now this, of course, what do you think? Was an absolute shock to his listeners, his own disciples, to the Pharisees, to the people at large that were all gathered around him. How could the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, how could they not have automatic entrance into the kingdom? The Pharisees were absolutely sure of that. And if anybody was going to get in, they would be at the top of the food chain. But they're not getting in. They don't get an automatic entrance just because of their heritage. You see, Jesus was telling the Jews that if they didn't believe in him, if they didn't put their trust in him rather than their own righteousness, they would find themselves knocking on the wrong side of heaven's door. Listen to verse 27. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. How do you become that? 
you just don't believe and trust the door, the narrow door, Jesus. You see, they thought they were God's privileged people, guaranteed a spot at the banquet of the Messiah, with the Messiah. But Jesus said Gentiles would be sitting in places of honor around the table at that banquet, and they won't be a part of it. While the Jews would be on the outside looking in. Used to have a rock album cover, outside looking in. That's where they're going to be, on the outside, with the door shut. And the ones that were supposed to be the dogs and get the scraps, they're inside feasting. You see, that is... That's what Jesus meant when he said, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. What do you think he's talking about? He's saying, you guys who should have been, you are now going to be out and last. Jews that do not believe in me. That's your lot. The ones who were last, the dogs are going to be eaten at the table. They are going to be the ones who now are first. This is once again what Luke has done so many times already. And so many other gospel writers. The great reversal of fortunes. Jesus is saying that's what's happening right now. And you can't see it. You're blind as a bat. You can't see it. The up will be put down, and the down will be brought up. That's the reversal of fortunes of the gospel. Now, the last section is the lament. And what a tragic, tragic element here. Then Luke tells us that some Pharisees came to Jesus with a warning. They said, get away from here because Herod wants to kill you, Jesus. And by the way, we don't know whether those were uh, fake Pharisees. Maybe they were some, like, uh, you know, um, some of Jesus' friends that, that were on the fringe of things. Could be that they were literally trying to protect Jesus. That's what they were saying. Or it could very well be that they're trying to get Jesus to fall into the trap. But in either case, it doesn't really matter. Why? It doesn't matter because whether it's a trap or it's not a trap, and they're actually trying to help Jesus to get away from that cruel, wicked, Herod Antipas, Jesus' reply must have mystified the messengers, whoever they were, whether they were really trying to trip up Jesus or whether they were trying to help him. Because he would continue, he says, his ministry until he reached Jerusalem and he would do so with a deep sense of mission. Jesus knew that he was ordained to die. He knew exactly the reason he came. They weren't going to get him He was taking them right where he wanted them to go so he could do and accomplish his father's will. 
Jesus knew he was to die on the cross and a team of wild horses could not deter the Son of God from his appointment with death and resurrection. You see, Jesus sent a message that pulls all the forces and puts all the forces of evil on notice. He, in essence, said, you can't stop, alter, or ignore the objective that my Father has given me. Period. Period. You can't. You can't touch this. You're not doing anything but exactly what my Father has ordained for me to do. And I will do it all. I will drink the cup to the dregs to bring you home. See, Jesus turned then to express his deep sorrow for what he knew was going to happen to the rebellious sinners that would not receive him, who would not believe in him. He knew and had deep sorrow for Jerusalem and for the whole Jewish nation who had not believed and was about to reject him by killing him. He knew all that was coming down. And yet, where do we find Jesus? Matthew makes this even more clear, but Luke obviously gives it to us here as well. Listen again. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who sent to, were sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing. God is just. God is merciful. God is holy. God is patient. But there comes an end. And when that end must rightly come to evil, God does not delight in that. You see this picture. You see God is showing you the heart, his heart, and the weeping eyes of the Son of God. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times I would have, but you would not. You would not come. You would not believe and have life. What a gracious and just God. Well, the Jews, you see, were looking for a kingdom that would be politically powerful. They were working all kind of machinations to get into positions to be power brokers for the age to come. But instead, the kingdom Jesus proclaimed seemed so insignificant 
so tiny. But listen to how things would change in one generation. Listen to Chuck Swindoll on this. He said, within 40 years of Jesus' resurrection, in a single lifetime, the gospel had reached all of the great metropolitan centers of the Roman Empire. And it had even reached innumerable villages and hamlets along trade routes between large cities. And by the end of the second century, the entire known world had been exposed to the gospel. Not every single person in the, in the entire world, but when, that's a way of saying it had unbelievable coverage. Had gone and penetrated in so many places and so far. That was just in one lifetime. What do you think God is doing now? What do you think he's up to? Do you think he's trying to figure out where he can make a play? Oh, my friends, no, no. He's been at work. He's at work in ways you and I never can comprehend. We only see bits and pieces of it, and we usually miss so much. You see, quietly throughout the centuries, the kingdom has spread to cover the whole earth. Jesus' kingdom is advancing through the church now and will keep doing so till kingdom come. What's that? It's when the king of the kingdom comes to finish it. Doing this as the kingdom comes and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your kingdom that cannot be shaken, that cannot be torn down and undone. Evil may abound. And we'll still be around, we know. But more and more, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Till kingdom come and the king comes. Amen.